Oh, I want to pick up where we left off. Uh, last time I was able to teach Sunday school, we were talking about the tiny stories in Matthew chapter 13. So if you'll open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13 this morning, I won't repeat that one in the morning service. Matthew chapter 13. We've been talking about the tiny parables, the tiny stories that Christ is telling the congregation, and then a little later on, His disciples. And each of these stories has a huge significance for us. And just as a quick review, these were called the kingdom parables. And the first four parables in Matthew chapter 13, Christ tells us about the work that the devil will do between the first coming of Christ when He was on the earth and the second coming of Christ. He told the parable of the sower. He told the parable of the tares. We looked at the tiny parable of the mustard seed. We looked at the tiny parable of leaven that was hidden. And then Christ took his disciples aside in the fifth parable, takes them into a house where it's just him and them, and he speaks with them privately, sharing what he is going to be doing between his first and second coming. We had the parable of the treasure hidden in the field. And today, we're going to be looking at the pearl of great price. The pearl of great price. This sixth parable. So I want you to look down to Matthew chapter 13. Look down to verse 45. And this parable is only two verses long. Matthew chapter 13, verse 45 and 46. And this is what it says. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Look specifically at that phrase, one pearl of great price. To be able to understand this parable, I think we need to do a little bit of a review. We need to consider the fifth and the six parables together. So let's quickly review that fifth parable that's in verse 44. It says, again, the kingdom of heaven, this is the parable that he told just before, is like unto a treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. As we looked at last time, the treasure, the treasure that Christ speaks about, here is Israel, the Jews. God divides all the world into the Jew, the Gentile, and the church. Those three categories. And that we found was in 1 Corinthians 10, 32. Exodus 19, 5b says, Ye shall be a peculiar treasure. He's talking about Israel unto me. Above all people, for all the earth is mine. Exodus 19, 5b. The treasure is Israel. The Bible then says that the treasure is hidden in a field. When Christ came, as we looked at last time, the Jews were scattered throughout the world. John 1.1, 1, 1, He came unto His own, His own received Him not. They rejected Him. They said, You are not our Messiah. Christ found that treasure again, and He hideth it again, the Scripture tells us. Tells us. How do you think Christ's followers felt when religious leaders of that day rejected the Messiah? They thought, is this the end of the program? Has Christ failed? Let me remind you, God is not finished with the Jews. 
He's not done. They've been set aside for only a little while. Finally, it says that the Lord gave us all, gave all that He had to purchase the entire field. The whole field. The whole world. Remember that field's the whole world. If you don't believe me, look back up in verse 38 where Christ actually defines the field as the whole world. Christ tasted death for every man, not just the Jew, but for every man, so that all could come to the saving knowledge of the Messiah. John 3.16, I love this, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I love that word, whosoever. It's one of my favorite words in the Bible. If you do a search on whosoever, there are so many promises for whosoever. And I love telling people, I'm a whosoever. I'm a whosoever. Whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And how long is everlasting? Everlasting. Everlasting. So let's get to the peril. The parable, the pearl of great price. To be able to understand these two verses correctly, we need to understand who the merchant man is, and we need to know what the pearl of great price is. One thing I noticed, if you look at your scripture, went and sold all that he had and bought it is in both of these parables. That phrase, the man that went and sold all that he had and he bought it. He, he sold all that he had and bought the whole field. He sold all that he had and bought the pearl of great price. I thought that was interesting. This parable relates to the work that Jesus Christ did and what he came to do. John chapter 1, verse 41. You know the story? Simon Peter is fishing. Andrew, his brother, has been following John the Baptist. And he starts to follow Christ. He hears Christ. So he goes to get his brother. He says, Simon, come, you've got to hear we have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted to Christ. We have found the Messiah. Christ had Jewish followers. He had disciples. Andrew goes and finds Simon Peter. Finally, all the prophecies have come to pass. The Messiah is here. You've got to come. And we know Christ was born of a virgin. He was in that lineage of David as the Scripture had prophesied. He was from Nazareth. As the prophecies, he, he was the king of the Jews. But then I want to contrast that in Luke chapter 24. You know this story as well. Jesus has been crucified. They put him in the grave. Roll the big stone in front. And later on, there are two men that are walking on the road to Emmaus. Remember the story? Two of his disciples walking on the road to, the, to Emmaus. And look, a man appears between them, and he starts talking to them. And they start telling him about Jesus. And look what they said in verse 21 of Luke 24. We trusted that it should have been when he, sh that it should have been he which should have redeemed Israel. You notice those two words I've underlined? Trusted and should have. They're past tense. It's over for them. We, we were depending on Jesus to be the Messiah. We were depending on Jesus to redeem Israel. But alas, it's over. He's now dead. It's finished. 
It's over. Did God's program just fold up? Was it over? God has a miraculous program going on even now after the Jews have been set aside for a while. So if we're going to understand this parable, I think we need to take a look at John chapter 10. Take your Bibles there. I don't have all these uh, verses on the screen, so you're going to actually have to use your Bible this morning. Look at John chapter 10. I'm going to start reading John chapter 10, starting in verse 6. And I'm going to read down through verse 16. And I want to show you what Christ says about this topic. John chapter 10, starting in verse 6. This parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they, they were which he spake unto them. Then said Jesus unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. That's the first thing he says. I am the door. I am the door of the sheep. That means the sheep have to go through me. I'm the only way in. Verse 8. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and he shall go in and out and find pasture. Then look at verse 10. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. Verse 11 says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. He says, I am the good shepherd. He goes on to explain, I know my sheep. They follow me. I, I think I'm a good teacher. At school, my kids know me. They know when I'm joking. I hope so. They know when I'm being serious. And more importantly, I know my students. It's one of my goals every year. It's not that they learn their multiplication facts, but I want to know each individual student. I want to know what makes them tick. And it takes me a little bit, sometimes a month or two, to know every single kid. I'll go to their ball games. Um, I'll go to their dance recitals. I'll go to their swim meets. After school times, just to get to know my kids. I'll meet their parents. I want to know them. I think I'm a good teacher. Christ said, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep. They know me. Look, it says, verse 12, but he that is a hireling and not the shepherd, a substitute, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep. It's dangerous. And fleeth. And the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hiring fleeth because he's a hireling and careth not for the sheep. And then he repeats in verse 14, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. He's talking about all these Jewish Christians. Verse 15, as the father knoweth me, even so I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And then we get to verse 16 and this is the one I want to highlight. Look what he says. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Who's he talking about? Us. The Gentiles. The Gentiles who receive Christ are the other sheep. He meant more. Other than the Jews. 
other than the children of Israel who were chosen as His special people to bring the Messiah to, to share God with mankind. Other sheep, us, the Gentiles. And then, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 and 14, Christ introduces His disciples to a brand new word that's never been used before. Look at these verses. Matthew 16, I probably should turn there. I got it on the screen. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He says, Who do people say? Who do the Jewish people say that I am? And they said, Hey, listen, you speak with a lot of authority, just like John the Baptist did. So some of them think you're just like John the Baptist. And remember, Elijah was the prophet that did tons of miracles. So some people see your miracles and say, oh, this must be Elijah. And others say, hey, Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, he had compassion and tears. And you remember when, when you raised Lazarus from the dead, you were compassionate and you cried. So some say, hey, this has got to be Jeremiah. And then he goes on, he says, he saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Here it comes. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He uses church for the very first time. This is a brand new word to the disciples. He says, I'm going to build my church. Notice what he said. I will build my church. Notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, you will build my church. He didn't say, I will build your church. He said, I will build my church. The Bible says that God's going to give the increase. People too many times take glory for programs or church growth. Galatians chapter 6 verse 14 says, But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Christ actually introduced the church to the disciples before those verses when he talked about the one pearl of great price. Because the church is the one pearl of great price. Let's look back at it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man, Jesus Christ, seeking goodly pearls, who when he hath found one pearl of great price, the church went and sold all that he had and bought it. In contrast to that first treasure, Jews, he's now including the pearl of great price, the church, which is a combination of the Jews and the Gentiles which are saved. And now we are considered the pearl of great price. He sold all that he had to buy the church. 1 Corinthians 10.31 We're familiar with this verse. 
But we like the first part first, and then we don't look at the second. Wherefore, therefore, where, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. There's his three groups again. The Jews, the Gentiles, and the church of God. To the Jews. You know our Bible. Most of us do. The Jews were a special group of people. We remember back in the Old Testament when God took Abraham and said, Abraham, I want, I want to separate you from society. I want, to pull, I want you to go to a place. I'm not going to show you right now. I'm going to show you later. I'm going to take you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to set you aside. I'm going to build you into a nation that is unnumbered like the stars of heaven. You will be my people. And Abraham was obedient and he was faithful. And then he had Isaac, his son. And God repeated the blessing to Isaac. You will be the blessing. And then Jacob, who was up and down, up and down, and caused issues and had problems. And God still blessed Jacob. And then Jacob took his family to Egypt. Remember, Joseph was in charge there in Egypt. Took his family to Egypt. And his people grew and were blessed in Egypt. And we think about Egypt as a horrible, terrible time, and it was for them, but the population boomed, and they were blessed. And the Bible tells us that everything that they did in Egypt was blessed by God. And finally, the Egyptians said, we've got to stop all this. And, the, and, and the Israel said, we're leaving, we're getting out of here. And God blessed them and took them all the way across the Red Sea, wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, and settled in Israel. And then the, the, the judges came, and the prophets came, and the kings came, and they kept cheating on God. And then God sends His Son for the Jews, for Israel, as their Messiah, and they reject Him. And God sets them aside to the Jews, the Gentiles. Well, the Gentiles or anybody that was not a Jew. And God made it very, very specific that the Gentiles were not going to control the world until Babylon. And Babylon, the Babylonian Empire rose and they controlled the world. Remember Nebuchadnezzar and all those? The Babylonians controlled the world. They were the people that were in time. That was the time of the Gentiles, God says in the Bible. That's when they began. Then the Medes and the Persians came in, and then the Greeks, and then the Romans, the great last Gentile empire. Others have since the Roman Empire tried to control the world. Napoleon tried to control the world. Hitler tried to control the world. But another world leader is coming. The Antichrist. And the Bible says at that time, the fullness of the Gentiles will be completed. That's the end of the Gentile age. The bride is taken away. The bride becomes complete at the rapture. Give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. 
That's one pearl. Both the Jews and the Gentiles together. It's no, he didn't just say a pearl of great price. He says one pearl. One means more than one put together into one unit. One pearl. Both Jews and Gentiles as one. 1 Corinthians. I put the wrong verse up here. I think it's 1 Corinthians 12, 14. It says this, For he is our peace, who hath made both one. Both one. And hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. One body, Christ calls us. Jesus took his disciples into a house, and he told them, Hey, don't be sad to think that I'm rejecting the Jews. I have this treasure that's set aside, that's hidden in a field. And the field is the world. I will purchase the whole world for my treasure. Then he turns right around and he says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls. But when he hath found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Turns right around and he says, I want to tell you about this one pearl of great price. Which is not the Jews. It's not the Gentiles, but made up of the Jews and Gentiles that believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the church. This parable is about Christ purchasing the church with his own blood. And that's how he did it. But why a pearl? Why did Jesus Christ choose one great pearl? Why didn't he choose gold? Why didn't he choose rubies or diamonds or wood? <laughs> Why a pearl? For what purpose? You might not know this about me. Some of you do. My background is in science. I don't teach science here um, much. Um, I teach science through reading, but I don't teach science as a subject because here in Florida, they've, the teachers that teach science also teach math. And I told my, my principal that there are four reasons that I don't teach math. She got the hint. So I don't teach science here. But my degree is not just um, elementary education. I have a major in environmental science. So I know a little bit about scientific things. I taught science specifically in Michigan for, for 26 years. I know science. So when I saw a pearl, I started wondering, why a pearl? For what purpose did Jesus choose to represent the church as a pearl? And then a couple lights started going on. I want you to look at some of these comparisons. We, when we think about how pearls are formed, we think about how the church was purchased, we can better understand why the Creator chose a pearl to represent his church. Number one, it comes from a living organism. You can, you can dig for gold. I've panned for gold before. I'm not too good at it. I get lots of dirt and lots of water. You can dig for gold. You can mine for diamonds. I've actually been to Arkansas to a national park out there where you get to dig for diamonds. 
and it was cold and it was rainy and I paid my $10 to go out in this field and dig in this mud for a diamond, hoping to find a big diamond. I didn't. I lasted about 20 minutes and I was done. I was finished. You can dig for diamonds. You can find emeralds. But a pearl comes from a living creature. It's embedded in an oyster. Our church begins with a living God. A Savior who came, was robed in the flesh, and dwelt among us. The church comes from a living organism. Number two. A pearl is formed from a lowly, common material. How's it made? Sand. Where can you find sand? Everywhere. Yeah, if I want some sand, if I want a little bit of sand, I don't have to go to Walmart to look down the sand aisle. I could just walk out. It's there. It's everywhere. And it's lowly. We step on it. All day long we walk on it. It's nothing special. But a pearl comes from sand. The most unsuspecting, common thing on earth is a piece of sand. But it's the beginning of a pearl. It becomes an irritant. Some churches are. It becomes an irritant. It's covered by the oyster. I could never imagine something so regular becoming something so precious. One would never think that God could take such regular people, put them together to become such a marvelous thing. The church. It comes from a living organism. It's formed from a common material. Number three, it's a product of suffering. It's a product of suffering. A pearl is made from suffering. An oyster has to secrete its life's blood. We call that the mother of pearl, the liquid, the mother of pearl. It has to secrete that around that, that lowly piece of sand to form a layer and a second layer and a third layer and layer after layer after layer and it keeps giving its life's blood to protect itself as a product of suffering. It suffers from that irritation all the time. It doesn't just put one coat on it. keeps Because it keeps irritating. And the cost... Its energy is drained. It could use that life's blood, that mother of pearl, for for life-sustaining activities, but a pearl doesn't. It has to produce that, and it suffers. Christ needed to suffer to pay for our penalty of sin. We are a product. Our church is a product of Christ's suffering. And it took all of His life's blood to save us. A pearl comes from a living organism. A pearl is formed from common material. A pearl is the product of suffering. What else about a pearl reminds me of the church? It's formed over a long period of time. It's not secreted all in one day. It can't make a pearl in a short period of time. I, I, uh, I had never tried raw oysters until I came to Florida. 
and there was a group of uh, my neighbor guys, guys only night, when we went out to a restaurant every Tuesday night and had raw oysters. That was our ha, 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 thing to do. And I still remember we were sitting, and I, I just have to let you know, I held the record. Three dozen oysters. I can do it. And they said, could you do four? I said, I could, but my wallet can't because it was not cheap. And they just slurp them down. <laughs> oh, yes, beautiful. It's great. It's wonderful. They give you crackers. Like, why? No, just eat the oyster. Guy beside me. Slurps his down. Oh, mm, mm. Pulls out a pearl. It was amazing. I was like, what? That's unbelievable. Now we're all slowly slurping them. So we might get out of here ahead of time. It took that oyster years and years and years to form that pearl. Years and years of suffering. Years of years of secreting its life's blood. A long period of time. Not just one day. Neither is the church. There are heroes and faithful men who we have never met and never heard of before that are the reason our church is here today. Some have yet to become part of this family in the future, but they become the church. Both the Jews and the Gentiles around the world are the church, the pearl of great price. I have one more. I love this one. A pearl is beautiful to behold. It's beautiful to behold. When the time of the Gentiles is over, we are going to be caught up together with Him in the clouds, and we're going to get new bodies. We will be beautiful to behold. I, I, love, I love the explanation of Scripture when Christ is coming back on the white horse. And He does all the fighting Himself with His words. And He wipes out all His enemies. But I love the part that talks about when he's coming down who's behind him us and we're dressed in beautiful white raiment with new bodies we are going to be beautiful to behold most everyone would comment on the beauty of a pearl but no one would give a second thought to walking on the sand of a beach. Next time you walk across the many grains of sand, may God remind you that each and every one of those could possibly become a beautiful pearl. Each and every soul, common soul, could become part of that one great pearl of great price. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for this parable. We are ecstatic that you chose 
to choose us, the Gentiles, the church, for salvation. We are grateful for that gift, Father. We are grateful that you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to die for us, that we could be included in this great plan of yours. We pray that you help us to go out, out of this place today and find those common people and bring them into us, into your family, so they could be included in the pearl of great price. In your name we pray. Amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.